there. Welcome. And thanks for listening along with Kingstown Communion, an inclusive and affirming United Methodist Church in the Kingstown area of Alexandria, Virginia. And our community exists to gather people, just like you here now, into communion with Christ and extend God's table into the world through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. This podcast is just one way that we live this out. For more information about our church or to give to our ministry, visit kingstowncommunion.net. And if you live nearby, we hope you'll join us for worship on Sundays at Hayfield Secondary School. James, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete lacking in nothing. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God, who gives it all, gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given you. But ask in faith, never doubting, for the one who doubts is like the way a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Let the believer who is lowly boast in being raised up and the rich in being brought low because the rich will disappear like a flower in the field. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the field. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. It is the same way with the rich. In the midst of a busy life, they will wither away. Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one, when tempted, should say, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. For one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then, when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, do not be deceived by beloved. Every generous act of giving, with every perfect gift, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us by birth, by the word of truth, 
so that we will become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Anton. Um, well, this is actually a, a day that is, um, um, well, it's a special day for me. It's the first day of my ninth year at the Kingstown Communion. Um, can you believe it's been nine years? Um, but it does, it's like it begins, uh, for, the, for Methodists, it begins like the first Sunday of July. And so uh, today is that day, um, and, and I always get really nostalgic. And as I was preparing for this um, sermon series, I was thinking nostalgically about it too, because normally this is the day every year where we also begin a new sermon series on a book of the Bible. This is what we've been doing since the beginning. Every year we've done a different book. And so, uh, oh, I was like, what, what books have we done? We've done Romans and Philippians and 1 Corinthians. And what else have we done, Brett? Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't make you wear a helmet this time. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, um, I'm super grateful to be here and, and to think about the, oh, the so many sermons that have been preached here um, and the, just the amount of discipleship that's happened in this place um, and the amount of people who have met Jesus in a new way uh, here. It's good to be in ministry with you all. Um, but today we begin uh, with our preacher, James. And I wonder often... I wonder often about how Christianity would have shaped up if James had written half as many letters as Paul did. If you put all the letters of James and Peter and John together, those who actually knew Jesus in the flesh, these are the people who knew Jesus, their combined witness is shorter than Paul's two letters to the Corinthians. Paul, who never knew Jesus in the flesh. And he wrote a good 100 pages or more than all the other letter writers put together so that he was the one whose views of Jesus and God and the Torah and church and ministry and women and sex and time and salvation and afterlife and faith, he was the one who determined the views of the early church on all of these things. Let that be a lesson to any of us who stop writing letters um, in favor of like Facebook posts. You know, we'll never, um, we will never help to shape a major religion, right? Um, Paul did. <laughs> But, but James, neither did James help shape a major religion. While his lone letter had what it took to be included in the New Testament, he got tucked in near the end with his brothers Peter and, and John, and like most of, you know, last pick players, they don't get into the game very often. We rarely talk about James. We rarely talk about how James's um, understanding of Christian faith stands in contrast to Paul's. These, these books just sit and they just watch Paul hit all the home runs, right? 
But today it's James' turn. Actually, for the next um, nine weeks, it's going to be James' turn. Hopefully he hits some home runs. Um, but today I would say James is, is hot at the plate. Um, he's, he's swinging and he's, he, he's not going to stop until he convinces each one of us of one main point that he carries through his entire letter and that if we want to grow up in faith or grow up in life, um, if we want to lock down and master that thing that everyone seems to want these days, emotional intelligence, the mark of adulting, we better pay close attention, James says, over and over and over again to what comes out of our mouths. Out of all the body parts we, we thought might cause us problems in life and, and in the practice of our faith in this, in this world, it's our tongues, James says, that we have, to, we have to watch out for. If we can't figure out how to bridle them, then our religion is worthless. Far better than we should take a warm meal to a single mom and her kids then go around talk, talk, talking about what an important thing that is to do, right? And we know plenty of examples. God, we have so many examples of unbridled tongues, don't we? Politicians alone have always given us our fill of unbridled tongues. And, you know, one recent president came along setting the unbridled tongue bar even higher and, and giving you know, daily media outlets, 24 hours of material that we can debate whether is actually newsworthy or not, right? Thank God for politicians, right? As long as they keep talking, the rest of us can focus on, on their runaway tongues and not our own. I don't know about you, but I, I, I've always found that the best strategy for avoiding change in myself is to find someone whose sins are worse than mine or at least more public than mine are. I think that's the root of our obsession with the most recent president um, because of you know, his immaturity of tongue. It makes us feel good in our confidence that, well, I am surely, my words are surely more restrained and more mature and more grown up than that. As a preacher, James is actually something of a nag. He's a scold. He peppers his letter with more than a hundred imperatives. Do this, don't do that, or else. It's one of the reasons that Martin Luther didn't know what to do with him, had no use for James. In fact, removed James from Luther's Bible. But if you figure that James, poor letter writer that he was, had something to say about what it means to be a Christian, that was at least as important as what Paul had to say, then it's worth enduring his you know, berating long enough to hear what's at the heart of it. And so that's what we're gonna do this summer. Because most scolds, right, have something they're passionate about. They're scolding for a reason after all. And James today buries the clue to his passion that will carry us through this book buries the clue to his passion in the last verse of what we read this morning in chapter one. In fulfillment of his own purpose, 
We'll see it on the screen. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. It says he gave us birth by the word of truth. God brought us into being through the act of divine speech. After God said, let there be light, earth, seas, plants, birds, cattle, creeping things, and all the like, wild animals of every kind, God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. And it was so. And God gave us birth by the word of truth and fulfillment of God's own purpose, James says, which was to make us chips off the divine block, a kind of first fruits of, of, of his creatures. God could have made us stone creatures or tree creatures or, or sea creatures or winged creatures, but God made us speech creatures instead, gave us words, human beings made in God's own likeness, which is to say, capable of joining God in, in the work of creation by speaking things into being ourselves too. The problem with this plan is that we turned out to be really, really good at this. God's precious word babies. We're all grown up using language now to blame each other and curse each other and mislead and lie to each other. Of course, they, they also use language to praise God and to bless God and to woo each other, but the words rolled off their tongues so easily that sometimes people didn't even know what, what they were going to say until it actually came out of their mouths. And the words just flew out of their mouths, floating in front of them kind of like, like, like soap bubbles at first and then hardening into small worlds of their own that spun away from them and they couldn't hold on to them anymore and to do whatever they had created those words to do. People who have made those worlds could say, but wait, I didn't mean it. They could say that all they liked, but, but once the words were out of their mouths, it was too late because God had made them capable of speaking things into being the same way that God spoke things into being, even when they had second thoughts about what they had just said. And that was how much power those speech creatures had. There was one power they didn't have, though. The only power that they didn't have was to uncreate what they had created. Because once the, the worlds of their words were made, they, they were made. Some of them spinning away to do great harm, while others spun away to do real good. And with the breath of their human creators still warm inside them, they went on to do what they were created to do. In the biblical imagination, um, breath is what all words are made of at first. That warm, moist, living spirit of those who speak. Written words, of course, came later in human history when people figured out how to substitute dark marks 
on a page for living realities of things. But in, in the beginning, God did not write the cosmos. In the beginning, God spoke it, one world at a time, filling each divine word with enough breath to give it life and then watching it float away to make more life of its own. And when we speak, our words are full of our own breath too. So you can't, you can't judge the power of a word, can you, by how much breath it takes. In the, word of, in the world of theology, um, we have all of these big theological words. Um, a word like eschatological. Say that with me. Eschatological. I wonder if any of y'all know what that means. Matt Binsky, maybe. <laughs> eschatological, it takes a lot of breath to say it, right? But it's, it's not nearly as powerful as its counterpart, hope. Or as, as its airy meaning and simplicity, heaven. I try to keep remembering why it's important to teach the people of God and the church like theological terms, like Christology. Can you say that with me? Christology or soteriology. Soteriology. But I know that all you really want to know is who Jesus is and what it means to be saved, right? And there's something about the words Jesus and salvation that will survive in settings where small, solid words sustain human life and big academic words just seem to mean nothing at all. Another thing to notice about words we speak is how the breath that goes into them comes out in different ways, right? I think you, you know what I mean. If you try to say the word love with the same velocity and air pressure required for a word like hate, it's, it's not gonna come out sounding like love at all, right? Every word breathes in a different way. The way we, we use our breath, not just our words, says something about whether, whether we've heard James's imperative to grow up. If you're a southerner, then you know that you know, the first pew in a fire and brimstone Baptist church is called the spit pew. It's called spit pew for a reason. <laughs> but you also know that when that same preacher comes to see you in the hospital, it turns out he also knows words that can revive you and comfort you, right? That's why people keep going back to his church. We have so many kinds of words in us and so many ways to say them. And these days, we, we also have so much media to say and to hear them in a way where they can multiply in a flash, right? What starts out as a single tweet trends in minutes, 140 characters have become millions. And, and what sometimes someone thinks they said in a passing moment can be um, replayed by folks who weren't there in one of a dozen videos on YouTube. It's this different kind of spit pew we exist in. 
But the words never, the words are really, they're, they're flying. They never stop flying around us so that many of them all the time, that so many that it's no wonder some of us think that our words aren't worth anything anymore. When you hear thousands and thousands of words every day, it's easy to forget how powerful some of them are still. You might have heard the saying, when oil is plentiful, gas is, is cheap, but even when the gas is cheap, it can still set things on fire. I grew up with a saying, I don't know if you had it, I don't know if it's parts of America that had it, or I don't know, um, but my parents surely said to me, um, sticks and stones uh, may break your bones, but words can never hurt you. And I'm pretty sure my mom said that at some point, it taught me that, and I remember repeating it. Um, the first time that I came home with a tear in my, 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 my tights, my stockings, and uh, and dirt in my hair and some kind of, you know, bloody stain on my, on my knee. Um, I used it too, and even though I knew it wasn't true, sticks and stones were nothing, nothing in my childhood compared to some of the mean things that other kids could think up to say. wonder if that was the case for you. You could practically watch <laughs> that action of creation of a world happening as it happened, how they sucked up like a big belly full of air and held it inside them while they picked out the perfect toxins to go with it and then breathed that awful, awfulness, awful mess out on whoever's bones um, they wanted to, to break without leaving a bruise. Now I know um, that some of them learned how to do that by having it done to them at home. While others were just trying to figure out, you know, what they could get away with. Either way, the power of their words was never in question just what kinds of worlds they would create in people like us grown up one day, right? And so later in life, now I'm all grown up. <laughs> and I, I have learned that it's, it's plain carelessness that can often do as much harm as premeditated meanness. I think that's the sin of adults, just total carelessness. My tongue starts moving before my mind has engaged, and I respond too quickly without listening carefully first, and, and I say something like, this, this too will pass. I say it to someone who, whose heart has been like run over while she looks at me like I just ran over her heart again, right? Or um, I'm sure you'll do just fine. I say to someone in deep need of like encouragement and validation of self-worth and who hears my words as just this curt dismissal of whatever they're feeling at the moment in the midst of my busy life. And sometimes I have a second or two after I let something like that out of my mouth to make, to make another finer world to eclipse the first one that I made the mistake with. But if I don't, then the small and the cold world that I did create in that without thinking at all is 
gosh, it, it's going to just kind of orbit in the relationship with that person for much longer than I would ever like it to. But I didn't do anything wrong. There's nothing to apologize for. Gossip is the hardest, though. And I can come up with a dozen excuses for doing it. I think you, you probably can, too. There's no faster way to bond with a new friend than to catch up about the old one. It's, it's how you learn more about what's happening in the community. <laughs> it's how you stay informed of what's going on in people's lives. Um, better than reading the newspaper. Sometimes I tell myself I'm doing it because I need to check out my impression of someone. She strikes me as a little bit of an imposter. What, what do you, how do you read her? I hope you read her better than me. <laughs> Other times I try to you know, justify it on ethical grounds. And if I'm not positive that what I'm saying is true, isn't it better to give like, someone a heads up about a possible situation? Couldn't I give them a heads up about a possible situation that could go wrong? I think I'm doing them a, a service by letting them know about this person. Unfortunately, like none of these ever hold up in my life. I don't know if they do in yours, but those never hold up, any of those reasons. There, there's just evidence of this runaway tongue that James keeps talking about again, because, because what they all boil down to is this. They serve me, and they serve no one else to do it. I think that's the gauge. I think that's the gauge. Does it serve you only? No one eats any better, sleeps any better, or gets any more justice in this world thanks to the gaudy little planets my gossip just created. And maybe it's not gossip with you. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's forthrightness. You say what you mean, and you mean what you say always, even when you have a track record of people hearing you the wrong way. Well, if they just, they, they, they just are too sensitive. Maybe it's colorful language. You're well known for dropping the F-bomb in casual conversation or to lighten up a room, not impulsively, like, because you just stubbed your toe, but, like, just because um, it's a part of your vernacular. And you say it's just words or it's, it's how other people talk, even when you know it makes people that you love very uncomfortable. Or maybe it's refusing to give an, an, an apology unless you are sure that you are wrong who does that serve? How does that serve the relationship or you or them? Or maybe your problem, perhaps like James's, is James has a problem too, he's human, right? Maybe your problem, like James's, is nagging about the small stuff until the small things seem as big as the big things, and those you love start tuning you out and don't know the difference. Ask yourself the question does it serve just you to save that? and no one else. These things are, may, may not be huge sins, but I'll, I'll tell you, they don't, they don't catch the light in this, light, in this life. And in the, in the cosmos of words, they are the black holes in the cosmos, right? Pulling in otherwise useful energy and just swallowing it right up. And James says, grow up. 
there's a church near my house that actually has on their board right now, um, well done is better than well said. And I would say that's a great subtitle for the letter of James. But it's not quite all that I'm saying today, and it's definitely not quite all that James is saying. Because in our capacity for language, if our capacity for language really is, is given to us by God to fulfill God's own purposes, then saying is its own kind of doing. The right word at the right time can save a person's life the same way a cruel or careless word can open the trap door that that sends a person spinning downward. For all his scolding, grow up, wise up, show up, build up, give up, wait up, it it would be wise for us to notice also that James never once says shut up. Because that would amount to returning God's gift of speech. What he says instead is be slow to speak, take your time, think twice, choose your words with care because once you have given them life with your breath, they will spin away from you and you won't have control over them. The only place you can control them is here where they come out, which is the same place the bit of a bridle goes. The main difference between your tongues and a wild horse is that only you can tame your own tongue. And no one else can do it for you. The the choice is yours to do it. You have to make an active effort to do it. Still, James says God has given us a leg up if we want it. When God was speaking us into existence, creating us in God's own image, God planted the word inside of of us, James says. The whole universe of God's life-giving speech is embedded in us as surely as our bones and our breath are in us with power even now to save our souls, James says. Not in our faith not by our faith in it alone. Remember, we're, we're not reading Paul today. That would be language of Paul. But by our, our God-given ability to do what it says. James says, if you want religion that is worth something, if you want to start adulting your faith, that's what, that's what we'll do. We'll, we'll yield the bit to the implanted word inside of us, letting it slow us down enough to choose our words with care, and even, even then to know when it is time to, to stop speaking them and start acting them out instead like players in some, some divine game of charades. And in a, in a world where words have hardened way too many hearts, the incarnate word goes on speaking without words, right? God... God's word made flesh with us. Not just once upon a time in one person far away, but right here, right now in this place through the the eloquent flesh of, of speech creatures like you and me. Who with Jesus are learning to grow up in our faith. Let us pray.
God, there's so many ways we could be mature. Um, we could grow in maturity, and we, we use, we, we talk about it in so many different ways. We talk about what, you know, financial maturity might look like, or what um, emotional maturity might look like, or what, what job we got, speaking to our, our professional maturity. Um, but when it comes down to, to it, God, it's all rooted in, in us taking our faith seriously in, in this spiritual maturity that makes it all else possible. And this looks like really at the heart, God, realizing that while we are not in control of what happens in our lives, of so much that happens in our lives, we're not in control of it, that, that we have been given a God-given ability to step up and grow up, to show up and build up others, And that to not live into that is, well, it's to be unfaithful to the call of Jesus. God, we're so grateful, though, that even though we mess up, um, even though each of us, you know, might be elbowing somebody in the room today, (laughs) or thinking of someone in the room Um, or thinking of someone in their own life, or convicted in ourselves, thank God, that James gives us um, a a story that, that, God, you breathed into us all the life and light and goodness that we could breathe out of ourselves if only we tapped into that. We're not left alone to figure this out, that you give us it. And so, Jesus, as we come to your table today, we ask that you would, in bread and in juice, make that a a moment of nourishing us in our spiritual maturity that we might grow up in this place have an aha of how we might serve you better today. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 